Okay, um, let's start. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, Last week, we didn't have, uh, we skipped one session, right? So it has been two weeks since the last time we had uh, Telegram voice chat. So I saw there's some, a couple of questions that is quite interesting to talk about. So let's go through it. So uh, I saw Mr. Fu is here. So if you, I saw you posted like one question, well, two questions, right? So later, if you just want to unmute and speak, uh, I'll, I'll prompt you. Uh, Okay, um, let's start from the first one. Uh, hello, Bunti. Just want to show appreciation and say thanks for the weekly sessions and constant sharing for everyone. Learn a lot from you and still learning. So this is posted by Anonymous. Um, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for the message. Yeah, I, I can't say that uh, have, I'm doing this on every week, right? You know, some, some week uh, we will just skip the session and then just take a day off, right? But uh, hope that weekly session like this uh, is helpful so let's say if there's any questions or any topic that you guys want to discuss in more details right then we can always uh schedule like a, just a dedicated session to talk about it in in details uh, because you know um on me chat messages sometimes we we can't really express it uh everything that we want right so i think using voice is um always uh, fun to, to to talk about uh. Okay, um, thanks a lot. Uh, let's move to the next one. Uh, top four tax growing 15 to 20% Kager last 10 years. Can they continue those numbers given the large market cap or saturation and global economy slowing down? Yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, give my opinions first. Let's say if there's anyone want to give your opinions, um, just let me know. Yeah. Okay, first, uh, top four techs, I think you are referring to the, those, you know, like the fang names, right? Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, these, these top, uh, tech companies, right? So it's true that if you look at even their price or their fundamentals, right? They've been growing like above average, right? So they've been growing like 15 to 20 percent. I didn't check. Um, I think in terms of fundamental, they might be growing like 10 percent, but there's some, uh, multiple expansion also. That's why if you look at the price, um, they are growing much higher compared to the broad base, uh, like, uh, ETF or, or index like SP 500. So the question here is that whether this, Big techs, right? Are they already at a saturation stage or are they going to continue to grow, right? So actually my, my, my feel, right, is that for companies, uh, let's say like take Amazon, for example, I don't think their growth will slow down, you know? So, okay, for e-commerce side, uh, harder to say. Uh, I think e-commerce side, we, we can at least comment a bit, uh, okay, e-commerce side, you can say that their, um, market share, Let's say talking about US or Europe, right? Um, e-commerce penetration is not, not, it's not very high. They're even lower than China. I think China, right? They, um, Taobao, this, they, they have been, uh, developed Taobao for quite some time, right? They don't even have those very big, um, more supermarkets, right? They straight away jump to e-commerce. That's why their e-commerce penetration is higher. But if you look back to, let's say like US or Western, uh, economy, right? Actually, still quite a sizable market share is, uh, taken by those, uh, brick and mortar store. And hence, there's still huge, uh, room for growth for this e-commerce. So that, that's e-commerce side. Then the other side, right, which is on their cloud business side, I think this is the, the place that, um, whatever that they have currently is still like very, very tiny of the entire total, 
uh, growth potential. Why I say so is because you look at in the past, right, all these uh, companies, right, whether they are small or large companies, right, they have their own IT department and then their IT department will have their own servers. Everything they do in-house, right? So you, you have, it is very costly to have this IT department just to help them take care of server, make sure that they didn't crash or if that if they uh, hacked by some hackers, right, they have to uh, figure out themselves, right, everything is in-house. And then what this cloud business doing is actually uh, trying to provide a service that is equivalent to the IT companies uh, for all the companies, you know. So the potential for this area is just like huge, right? So uh, I'm not saying about like, okay, um, their market share, if you look at Amazon uh, AWS market share, they are quite quite big, right? I think around like, I don't know, 30 or 40%, right? If you look at the, the market share, you would think that, okay, they are already like kind of big market share. How much can they grow, right? It's not like uh, Tesla. Tesla started at very low percentage market share. Hence you say, okay, they can take business from, from Toyota, from Volkswagen, but for companies like AWS, even though their market share is very big, but the entire market is still growing. So I look at companies like Amazon, I would say that for, for their business and fundamental to grow, uh, let's say at the same rate as the past 10 years, right? Uh, I think this is not some aggressive assumption, right? Uh, I, I do feel that, uh, that their growth uh, is going to be very high just because of the you know, the, the trend uh, towards all these like cloud business and so on. So we, we really need to look at their, the, the business that they have and judge whether the business, right, are, are they growing or not? Uh, is the total addressable market growing or is it something that is stagnant? So that's Amazon, right? So come back to other business, let's say uh, like Apple. I honestly don't think that companies like Apple, uh, given that they are huge uh portion of their revenues is from selling iPhones, right? And, and maybe you can add up like uh, iPad together, right? These markets are not going to grow like like in the past 10 years. Uh, they Indeed, they are already at the saturation phase. That's why if you look at their markets, right, I, I think it's, it's very hard for them to grow their top line at such a high rate, um, like what they achieved in the past 10 years now. So this is true for Apple. Um, but what one good thing about Apple is that uh, the, the, if you look at the share price growth, right, it's not just about their revenue growth, right? You also need to look at, okay, um, share price, they, you can take it back to earning per share, and then earning per share, you can take it back to the uh, revenues, right? So even though their revenue is not growing that high, but as long as they are able to maintain their profit margin, and with that profit margins means that they are generating a lot of cash flow, right? And they use the cash flow to do some share buyback, right? So after they conduct all this share buyback, they are outstanding share string and earning per share can grow at a decent rate. So this is why I still buy into Apple's even though their, their top line growth is, is already not as um, attractive as let's say co just compared to five or, or seven years back, right? So usually it's like this. For companies that's already approaching saturation, you want to make sure that they are not, uh, their valuation is reasonable and then um, they are, they, they, they must be able to generate a lot of uh, free cash flow for them to like string their outstanding shares on. That's how they, they boost their earning per shares, right? So as long as earning per shares continue to grow at, let's say, like 10 to 15% uh, per year, right? Then share price will just, uh, will just tag along. Now. So that is my view on, uh, on another companies like, like uh, Apple. 
for other companies, let's say Facebook, we all discuss in very details. Uh, I won't comment further. Uh, same for Google. I think these companies, right, in terms of they, they, they strike a good balance uh, between like the top line growth and also their profitability. So if you just look at the, all these big techs, right, um, I, I really think that their growth um, potential is not going to end that soon, given the dynamic of the, of the business and the trends. Uh, um, that, that's on the companies and their business, right? Then the second, second part is talking about the global economy slowing down. I think this type of slowing down, uh, slow down in, in GDP, or even if they become negative for two quarters, we call it recessions, right? These are actually not new. We don't have to really panic on, on because of all this. You just look back to the, you know, old news, right? You can see that, like, let's say 2016 or even like 2018, right? Um, the, the growth rate has slowed down and then, the companies are, are not going away, right? So because all this slowdown is healthy um, so after a couple of, let's say, quarters of slowdown, um, they will continue to grow, right? So you, you just want to own this business because companies that are like really solid companies, right? Uh, once past the uh, slower growth period, right, then they will they will go, go back to the growth phase again because as long as their product and services is really like attractive, right? They bring value to the customer, right? Their business will just do well, right? But over a short period of time, let's say talking about uh, one or two or three quarters, right? I think I cannot avoid one. There must be some period that they, you, you see that they are, they are top line uh, slowing down be compared to the last year. These are all quite normal. Uh, but with that said, I think... Uh, as of now, if you listen to the comments, right, I don't think um, in terms of the economy, right, I don't think we are looking at an uh, economy that is slowing down that soon, at least not in the next, like, let's say, three months uh, or so. Um, but uh, on the monetary, monetary side, I think Fed, uh, Fed is tightening. So interest rate increase, I think all this will ha have some impact, but likely uh, second half of the year, you will see that there will be some cool down um, in terms of the inflation and in terms of the growth. I think we should be prepared to see that uh, happening. I think this is all quite common sense, right? If you look at the interest rate uh, go up by like 1% for the next one or let's say two months, they go up by 1%. Then subsequent three or four months, they continue to go up like 0.25%, um, uh, 0.25%. At one point, right, uh, people will just like delay some big ticket purchases like buy cars or house house right and this for sure will have some impact to the economy just look look at china i think uh that's the same thing maybe later we'll talk about china right it's the same thing right they will they, they try to cool down their housing market and then that will have some spill over to the economy and now we are seeing that their their economy is really uh, slowing down right so just take reference from that now i think not so um you know, this this is like normal. This is how the economy works, right? So, yep, that's uh, for me. Long question for this uh, <laughs> questions. Uh, I'll stop here, pause a moment, see anyone want to comment on this. Kelvin, you want to comment anything on, on the first one? Sorry, we are talking about these uh, top four tech companies, the big tech, or others. Team, do you want to comment? Or Yixman? Okay, if not, then uh, we we'll just proceed. Just stop me if anyone have any comment. Yeah. Uh, the next one is China tech still a buy now, given the continued zero COVID policy. Will they outperform US tech? Mm, okay. 
I'll go first. Um, actually, just now we talk about China, right? Um, I think currently, uh, based on you know news and based on some information from the ground, right? Uh, talking about Shanghai, right? I think their situation is not doing well. As you can see, when the government say, "Okay, let's lock down everyone. Everyone just stay at home." I mean, the economy cannot function well with that kind of situations, right? And not just about the consumer spending. You know, all this uh, lockdown already affected some factories, right? So for those who, who have been following Tesla, you know that their factories has been closed for, I think, one or two weeks, right? Uh, I think they, they just announced that they're going to restart their factories. Um, if not, if I remember correctly, it was like 18 April, right? Uh, that's going to be tomorrow. Hopefully, this uh, reopening of factories will continue and, and not, uh, struck by another lockdown in the near future, right? But anyway, come back to all this, uh, um, you know, COVID policy. Um, right now we are talking about Shanghai. Is it really? Uh, there's some echo. Please, please mute. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, anyone's uh, that's. Okay, there's some echo, so <laughs> very hard for me to speak. Okay, now it's okay already. So come back to the lockdown, right? So right now we are looking at Shanghai. Situation is very bad. The question is like, okay, uh, are, are they going to continue with this uh, zero COVID policy? Uh, second thing is, are this uh, problem, this COVID uh, spread, right? Are they, are they going to spread to other cities? And if all other cities, for example, like those Shenzhen, are, are they going to experience what uh, Shanghai is ex experiencing now, right? So I think if the situation is yes, right, meaning that it's spread across different cities and then, uh, I mean, Chinese government, they just want to like put the top priority to saving humans' right, lives, right, and don't care about the economy. So, uh, it will be a very, very bad situation for the business and for the peoples and also for uh, the stock market. So I think all, all this will have some impact to the economy. Um, I think to, to, to some extent, they will have to revise their strategy towards uh, COVID, but we just don't know how much pain they are willing to uh, take before they realize that actually they, they can't really uh, continue with, with the current policy. But anyway, because I, I, I'm not an expert in terms of like all this COVID policy and, and what's their priorities, right? Uh, we, we really can't speculate much on what they plan to do. Uh, we can only say that if we just uh, extrapolate the kind of policy that they have uh, today, uh, especially Shanghai, and just extrapolate to other cities and extrapolate the time length, right? You can see that all this will definitely have some impact to the business. And I think everyone will su suffer, uh, um, not just Chinese tech. I, I think the, the other companies that is not tech related, right? They will all be affected. And all these um, negative impacts, right? Will not stop at China. Um, all this problem, they will for sure export to the global as well because um, the supply chain, they are all linked, right? Like all these co uh, companies like Apple, their factories in China. So you don't have to affect like the, the big factories in China, right? You just have to affect like a couple of important components of the supply chain. And then that, that is enough to create all these uh, shortages of, of materials or, you know, some, something that will affect other companies to produce their 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 products now. so i think this is definitely something to pay attention to um i think situation like this right um in terms of short term they could be quite serious 
in terms of long term, it, it really depends on how how well they they are handling all these uh, COVID situations. Uh. So for those who are really like you know you are concerned with this, right? Um, maybe just keep some cash and. Um, it will help a lot in, in terms of your uh, managing your emotion. Yeah, you don't want to like just panic when all this uh, suddenly deteriorating, right? So I think that's the only um, suggestion that I have. Uh. If, if not just, I mean, this is economy, right? This is macro stuff, right? It's really hard to say, okay, unless you really, really have good insight on what is going to happen next. Uh. If not, try to speculate uh, what will happen and like play around with your portfolio too much now. so that's my view on this um i'll just walk around see, uh, see look around see anyone want to like give your opinion on on uh this this topic i, I saw mark is here you you want to give your opinion because uh, i think you you also mentioned that uh you have some observation and dr wealth also shared some insights right you want to share here uh okay sure uh hello can you hear hello yes can hear you okay okay so um i i happened to join this uh dr wealth uh webinar a uh, few days ago so i think he's uh he actually he know the china market very well so um uh off of my head um this is uh, what I can summarize. I I actually didn't really take a lot of notes, but basically he's coming from the perspective that uh, the way China market and US market work is uh, actually different. Uh, and you we can actually also say that they are direct opposite. The US market, it works based on uh, capitalism. So basically it's, uh, you, you know, like, um, you, you want to see a company earning money, uh, market share go, and the investor will put their money in. But the way China market work is, um, there's a few fundamental concepts. Um, he, he shared that uh, you, you need to understand that uh, what is uh, the government policy. You have to understand the government policy before you, you can um, go into... Uh, uh, the Chinese market because without knowing uh, how the um, what the Chinese government is thinking, what the direction of the Chinese government is going in, you 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 can invest in a fundamentally good company like uh, the the recent one we know uh, Alibaba, Tencent, but you you can see that the stock price is coming down. But there's also other good Chinese company that's also doing very well, like which actually not tech stock. So some of the tech stock that he's uh, referring to, uh, so some of the non-tech stock he's referring to uh, like, you know, the one that do multi. So now the stock price is actually uh, very high. But this A-share, this A-share company, uh, I mean, Chinese company, they, they are not listed in uh, the U.S. stock market. They are listed in the Chinese stock market, like uh, Shenzhen, Shanghai, and um, um, Hong Kong, etc. So, so this is some of the key points that um, of my head I remember. Then another thing that we we must also understood that 
not only do you have to understand how the Chinese government think, you you also have to understand that basically um, the Chinese government they their their concept is Gong uh, basically is a direct opposite to the cap capitalism uh, thinking in uh, the US market where the US market is uh, everyone can get rich uh, the American dream uh, and but the you the Chinese market is the government want everybody to get rich together so the concept and fundamental is totally different then the third, the third point is um um the the confucian thought uh, Kongzi, uh, you know so he was saying that if you you need to understand that the chinese market is uh they have this confucian thought so if if um for for people like us we uh we we know how to navigate around the u.s market we know uh, what's going to happen uh before before the high is announced after the high is announced uh etc etc but chinese market is uh i'm, I'm not saying it's not investable um uh i i myself i i haven't bought any chinese stock because i i don't really know the chinese market uh but if anyone want to invest in the chinese market i i think it's not just research into the company actually in fact that's that's not that's not even the first step i think before investing in chinese com uh, market i think you should go and study how the government works it's totally different from the U.S. Congress. Then before that, then after that, you go and study which company you want to invest. I think the sequence is different. Yep. Th thanks a lot for the comment. Um, yeah, I think this is um, definitely true, right? Uh, different markets, different dynamics. Um, in China, if you if your business is not aligned with the government, it's really hard to survive. Uh, I think that is definitely true. Uh. Um, yeah, I think I, I totally agree with, with what you just shared. Okay, A anyone else want to comment on the first one? Questions, first question on China or China tech. Okay, uh, if no, let's proceed. Uh, this one I answered already. Okay, the next question, how come Munger sell Alibaba? Um, I think these questions, right, uh, I, I, I I'm sure that for those who are interested to follow Munger's, uh, like why, to, to understand why EC selling strike, the first thing we need to realize is that um, actually nobody's know why they sold, right? Because they haven't really given their explanations. Let's hope that, uh, you know, during the Berkshire uh, annual shareholder meetings, uh, like I, I believe there will be people who ask uh, Munger, see uh, why EC selling strike. And, and that's the only uh, answer that that can be can be taken as correct uh. all the speculations by by others right um just just listen to the opinions uh i think these are all just speculations we, we don't know for sure uh, but for me i i also speculate um it's just that i 
honestly don't think that he sold because of you know uh for example like oh we're talking about like uh margin call all these things i, I don't think that makes sense uh, given that you know um you know margin margin call this type of situation is really for those who leverage a lot on a total portfolio basis right um for uh this daily journals balance sheet or their portfolio um I think the Alibaba allocation is so small that uh, it doesn't make sense for them to, to be liquidated because of the margin call. Uh, that's one thing. Second thing is that some actually speculated that uh, the, the sales is not done by Charlie Munger, but uh, by, you know, uh, Daily Journal's new management, right? Those who will take over um, the companies as the chairman and also maybe like CEO, right? So that could be the case. It's just that I think uh, Charlie Munger, he stepped down as chairman around end of March. And the most the, the report that we have seen, right, that they uh, sold 50% of the stake, right, that was in Q1. So technically speaking, uh, if you assume that they sold between January to March, right, that time, uh, Charlie Munger is still the chairman and uh, he's still managing the portfolio. And even after he stepped down as the chairman of uh, Daily Journal, right, he, he's still managing the portfolio. So um, it's very hard to believe that uh, Charlie Munger don't want to sell but being forced by others, right? So this one also doesn't make sense, right? Because if he's really forced by others, uh, he will not just step down as the chairman, right? He will just quit and maybe make some nasty comments, right? You know, Charlie Munger is not the person who will take it soft, you know? If he really, like... Um, don't feel like it, right? He will just shoot the person, right? So at least we don't see that. So uh, I, I can at least say that probably he is at least agreeable with these uh, transactions to actually reduce the uh, stake on Alibaba. So. But uh, that's the only comments I can give. Uh, I think uh, maybe let's wait for the annual shareholder meetings and see if we get the uh, the, the so-called true answers. Uh. So uh, I'll stop here. See, anyone want to comment on, on this uh, Charlie Munger selling Alibaba? Okay, uh, no one. Next, proceed. Okay, from Anonymous. I don't have time to keep track of individual companies while being busy with my full-day job. Any suggestions better than just DCA on broad-based ETF? Hmm... I think for this, right, I would say that, let's say if you ask these questions in, in any Telegram groups, right, um, I think I would say 80% of the people who try to give some sound advice, right, will just tell you that just DCA on broad-based ETF. Uh, because if you're just like continuously buying, you know, like S&P 500 or VWRA, uh, I mean, VWRA is the one that track the uh, world index, right, it's kind of hard to... Um, let's say uh, outperform this strategy already. So because you already have exposure to like all the solid companies and very diversified, right? And at least uh, this is a strategy that is maybe you will say it is not play to win, but uh, it is play not to lose, right? Uh, if as long as you have good saving ratio, meaning that you, you put a lot of uh, saving into stock market over a long period of time, right? This strategy for sure won't screw up one. So, so this is the first statement. Then the second thing is that, uh, like for myself, right, uh, I still do some individual uh, picks. I pick companies or business that, that I have, right? Uh, but my style is I really look for things that doesn't change over a long period of time, right? So actually, I 
for me, for my style, right, even if I buy single companies, I don't really need to spend a lot of time to understand uh, the, the details of the business. Because, for example, like if I know that uh, iPhone is going to have some slowdown, and then that might affect their uh, financials, and then their stock price might be under pressure for the next three or six months, right? If you ask me, am I going to sell or not? My answer is no. I Because to me, if after I sell it, right, I for sure I need to buy it back because my I want to own these companies and I want to own more shares over time, right? So if I sell today, I will have to buy back sometime later, meaning that if I saw some, some negative uh, to their financial or, or slowdown in their business, after I sell, I need to keep track of their news, uh, of their development or, on a very frequent basis and just look for the best time to buy back, right? All this will take time uh, or, or take some energy to really follow the, the business in very details. But for me, I don't want to do that. I just want to accumulate over time because I think that the management is solid, the business, the long-term strategy, all these are good, right? I actually don't have to spend much time. I just need to buy consistently, right? So to me, it's like DCA over uh, individual companies that I think is good over time. Uh, don't really need to spend a lot of time now. So this is for me. But at least I need to spend the initial, uh, like, like I need to do my homework first to know that which company is good to hold for the long term first, right? Hence, I can uh, do this, like just continue to DCA. And I also cannot say that uh, companies like Apple is good for long term now. I cannot guarantee that they are good for long term, let's say three years later, right? Because companies, even they don't change a lot uh, from quarter to quarter, but over, let's say like two years, three years, five years, they could change, right? So every, let's say like six months or one year, I still need to like uh, read about the companies, know what's happening with the company. Uh, if there's any major change in strategy, uh, I still need to follow, I still need to know. It's just that I don't need to know like uh, every single news that come out like every week, right? All these things I, I can and just like uh, shut it down and, and don't follow closely. So I, I can say that at least for my, my strategy, I, I don't need to spend a lot of time. I can still do my full-time job and still invest in, in these companies. So at least that's for me now. So it really depends on like how, how active you are uh, when, when it comes to investment. If you say that you don't want to DCA because to you maybe too boring, maybe you can... Uh, use some strategy that is less active, but still concentrate towards certain uh, companies that you like, or even some, uh, let's say using ETF to get exposed to the sector that you like. For example, if you are into uh, tech sectors, right, you can buy just the, uh, you know, like the VGT, which is the ETF that track the uh, tech sector, right? So you, you can also do that. Um, I think that way you can concentrate into some niche that you think will outperform the broad-based ETF and it is less boring, right? So I think this is a couple of um, examples that is different from DCA, but I would say that all these are just uh, some, you know, some variations of options that you have, right? Um, the I think the standard one is still just come back to the DCA broad-based ETF uh, and that one, you, you just minimize your, your chances of screw up, right? Because uh, as long as you go up go away from the broad-based ETF and get into like individual companies or get into, um, let's say like specific sectors, right? There's always chance that you will do, you will do worse than the broad-based ETF, right? So are you okay with that or not? If you say you are okay, then, then just, just be it, right? Just, just, uh, to use that strategy, right? If you say, no, 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 I, I think I want to concentrate into certain niche, right? And I must be right, right? 
then um then you, you can't skip away from doing all this uh you know like more active kind of uh uh following the news and and so on okay uh this is just my comment uh, i'll stop here anyone want to comment here any other strategy anyone else Okay, uh, let's move on. Okay, this is from Mr. Fu. Uh, maybe I read it up. Let's say if you want to comment, you can unmute and, and tell us more. Right? Um, so the first one, have a bit lost faith in stock picking, keep, keep underperforming the S&P 500 this year. Even last year also didn't beat because of China stocks. Uh, Mr. Fu, you want to unmute and share a bit of your story? Are you still here? Because, oh, it's not here already. Uh, okay, <laughs> because just I saw I saw him here. I'll comment first. Uh, I think last year, uh, last year I also like uh, in terms of the China uh, China stocks, I also lost some money. But I think overall I beat the index a little bit last year. But this year I also didn't beat the index. Though. So uh, I think for this year, right, unless you have some exposure into the energy sectors, right, if you don't have energy sectors, for sure you underperform one. Um, yeah, I think that's my observations uh, because energy stocks, they really went up a lot uh, because of the stock price, uh, the oil price, right? So uh, uh, that's the general comment. But come back to this point, which you want to highlight, right, is that uh, lost faith in stock pickings. I think that's true, right? You know, uh, when all these popular stocks, they're just going up, going up and up, right? Just like in 2020 and 2021, people talk about like, oh, we should sniper theory, we should really concentrate into our highest conviction stock. Um, they outperform the market by, you know, like 20%, 30%. Why, why should we buy S&P 500, right? I think these comments are very uh, common. And then when it comes to the downturn, all these popular stocks drop by... 30 50 percent and then uh i mean there's this kind of uh let's say attitude right let's say um lost faith to want to stop pigs uh go back to um s&p 500 will come back again so you always swing uh, between these two kind of different sentiments i think this is quite common uh, if you just follow the market and follow the uh, chatters in in uh, forums or telegram groups right you you will, you will see that on so I think this is, I can understand your, your sentiment now, I will say that. Um, coming back to your, let's say if you are taking some advice on what to do, right? I think if you really feel that a bit discouraged, I think it's fine to uh, have some exposure into S&P 500, right? You, you don't have to like do binary kind of decisions, right? Like, oh, I'm only stock pick, I don't invest in S&P 500 or the other extreme, right? Like only S&P 500, um, uh, stock picking, cannot outperform for sure. I mean, these two are very extreme kind of positions uh, or, or opinion on this topic, right? Um, to me, I my advice is that you, you don't have to go to, towards uh, each extreme, right? Uh, you, you can just like say, okay, uh, I will just like 50% S&P 500, then 50% I will just stop pick into uh, companies that I like, right? Or, or, or 70, 30 or 20, 80, right? A any percentage that you would like, right? So at least, let's say, if your pigs underperform S&P 500, you can still say, eh, at least I have some S&P 500. <laughs> at least that's my, my approach. I, I still have uh, some uh, like broad-based index uh, exposure. Okay, I'll stop here. See anyone want to comment on this?
Yeah, hi, this uh, Martin here. I joined late, so I just saw this 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 particular comment. I think, especially true for beginner investors like myself, right? Should have always have a fallback, lah, which is your broad based ETFs, lah. Your S and P five hundred would be would be your safest bet. Uh, I think a seventy thirty ratio would be also okay, and so as long as you have some good good foundation fallback, like the like the index itself, ah. Then you can afford to risk more at the thirty percent on things on companies that you have uh, or, or stock picks that that you have conviction in. Uh. So I mean, again, conviction is also kind of subjective in my opinion because sometimes your conviction is. I mean, I also peers would say conviction means oh, so and so said that is good, or so and so said that that is good. You know, so we we if we want to have good returns, we also have to put in the hard work lah. That uh and. You know, conviction is, as I say, subjective. Ah,、uh. how 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 super believe are you in 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 that particular company before you you commit your money to that stock, right? And then, uh, invest emotion also plays a very big part, lah.、Uh. Like you know, you can see big ups and downs, ah.、Uh. If you are like easily affected, then maybe maybe stock picking is really not for you, ah.、Uh. Uh, but if you are like numb to it, then why not, right? Because so as long you just believe in it. Over the long term, of course, the numbers must be must make sense to you also, lah. Like the the company fundamentals, and again, if you don't know how to interpret it that well, right, then again, maybe stop picking again is not for you, ah. So, so it's really up to up to your own uh risk appetite at that at this point in time. But if you're talking about like ten years or five, even five years, right? Consider medium term, ah, uh. I don't see why stop pick why taking a bit of risk is is not not good lah. Just just my take. We can afford that kind of, that kind of, of of risk. So, just just don't be too too discouraged. Oh, yeah, that's all I have. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, I think for these topics, right? I I think we shouldn't approach it from the perspective of okay, I I must stop it, um, and and I must stop it. Hence, I'm going to choose uh which company to pick, right? I think that's not the right way to approach. I think the right way to approach is that you should take the S and P five hundred as the the standard one. Everyone, not everyone, you should take that as like this is how I should invest, and then at the same time, right? Uh. If you look at companies, you you just look at the businesses, right? You just need to ask yourself, right? Okay, uh, like I'm buying iPhones for for my own use, right? This product I think is superior compared to other products, and then I just take a look at their balance sheet, their business, and and you you yourself will have a feeling to say, okay, is this business is really that superior that I'm willing to like let go of a portion of my S and P five hundred, which is the default investment, right? And put towards the business that I like. Usually for companies like this, right? You just look at it. You just you just com very convinced that they will do well. Like it's very hard to to convince you away from investing in these particular companies, and that's where you should uh buy into the individual companies. Um, that's why you you just you know when we we all uh discuss right with friends and and talk about like all、oh, this should you really uh stop picks right? It's very hard for. For us to convince someone to is who are bullish towards certain companies to just say, "Hey, you you should just uh invest in S and P five hundred lah," because it's already towards like uh some emotional uh attachment because they understand the business, they understand the 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 fundamentals, they understand the prospect, right? And then 
I think the natural approach is just buy into that companies, right? Don't don't have to like be more how to say, be very uh, uh how to say uh, I don't know how to describe it. Is that you don't have to say okay uh come when it comes to investing uh S and P five hundred is the right way. I, I think we, we shouldn't do that now because. For companies who, who who are following certain companies, right? I, I mean, for people who are following certain companies, right? Once they develop that love for that companies, right? They just want to own the business, right? Then just own the business. <laughs> I think it's it's very simple one. But you shouldn't say, okay, uh, I think stock pick is the way. Uh, I I must stock pick, but I I don't know which company to pick, but I still want to stock pick. I think that's not the the right approach now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the first one. And then the second question from Fu is that, um, Buffett said that it's difficult to consistently beat the S&P 500 long term. How true is that? I think many beat S&P 500 by holding top four tax or even QQQ past 10 years. I think this one, right? Uh, I, I just want to bring in this quote, right? Uh, what is true, uh, in the past doesn't mean it, you can just extrapolate uh, for the next 10 years, right? Because if you look at the past 10 years, companies like Facebook, Google, you just look at their fundamentals, right? It's really growing like crazy. If you just go back to, let's say, 2012, right? And just just remind yourself what were the sentiments back then, right? Actually, not many people believe that companies like Facebook, Google, Apple can grow so much uh, over the uh, the from 2012 to 2022. They they don't believe one. I I think they 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 will say okay, these are the big tech, these are the sexy names, but uh, when it comes to valuation, except for Apple, maybe Apple they they are not pricey, but the rest, right? For example, like Amazon, uh, Facebook, because uh, back to 2012, their earnings are not very strong. And in order for them to have very, very good returns, right, their fundamentals have to grow at a very, very high rate. But this was the sentiment back then. The thing is, within that 10 uh, years period, right, their fundamentals really grow that well, you know. It really keep on outperform the expectation, hence their stock price uh, already reflect. So, so that's uh, we're talking about the past, right? But the question is, from now, uh, let's say twenty twenty two to twenty thirty two, right? Will all these uh, top four tech companies going to grow as uh, fast as past ten years, right? Uh, meaning that how much of those growth already been priced in? This is the the questions, right? I think I have no doubt that they will grow lesser than past 10 years just because of the size uh, 10 years back there. They are so small, easier for them to grow, right? Uh, next 10 years, harder to grow. Uh, but I think if you can spot uh, companies, it could be any companies, right? It could be tech, it could be non-tech, it could be uh, mega cap, it could be small cap, right? Any companies that you can spot that can grow like uh, how much Facebook had have grown in the past 10 years, right? You just buy into those companies and I can assure you that they will do like super well in the next 10 years. Meaning that if we can already predict uh, which companies fundamentals will do well, the stock price will follow for sure over 10, 10 years period. Over one, two, three years, cannot say one, they can, they, can, uh, they can diverge one. But over 10 years, for sure, they will follow their fundamentals. The problem is very hard for us to know which one will do well because I can tell you, out of the mega cap, right, out of the four or five companies, right, 
probably there were one or two that will, you know, like, 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 uh, slow down and then not doing that well. And, and hence their share price performance will, will suffer over the next three, five or 10 years, right? There will be some that will able to maintain. And then even uh, with other companies, right? Even all the high growth names, right? Similar situation as well. Uh, there will be companies that is doing well. There will be companies that are doing less well. So, but, very hard to predict uh, in advance, especially talking about like 10 years, because especially in tech, right? Um, all this change quite fast, right? Uh, the trend that we are seeing now, three years later, they are talking about different things, different development already. That's why, you know, there are people uh, like uh, Warren Buffett, he will just stay away from tech because it's really hard to predict all this trend in advance, right? So even companies that is very solid now, three years later, they could like suffer, right? So... Yeah, I think that's my comment. Uh, just want to bring up the point that uh, you, you are actually commenting on the past, on the history, right? Um, I just want to say that it's not so easy to predict uh, the trend over the next 10 years. And, and also, you, it's not just a trend, right? It's also how much has been priced into their share price, right? Because, for example, I, uh, I can say that it's easy to uh to really uh, project the trend that let's say Tesla sales is going to increase um, many folks in the next 10 years, right? They are producing, let's say 1 million car now. I, I, I'm not surprised that they can produce, let's say like a 10 million car uh, in 10 years time, right? I think not surprised, but you also need to look at how much has been priced into the, the share price, right? How much growth already priced in. And ultimately the share performance, right? is really, um, looking at how much is their fundamentals growth versus what has been priced into the share price. They have to outperform the, the, the price in uh, assumptions in order for the share price to do uh, much better than the uh, average market, right? So this is another, another thing to, to uh, consider. If you think that all this is too hard, right, then um, I think all these uh, broad-based ETF, at least they, they guarantee you have the exposure uh, for companies that is doing well. I think that's the attractive part of the um, like broad-based ETF. Huh? If you are picking stocks, right, then uh, I mean, if you pick the right one, for sure, very good returns. Huh? But if you, I mean, if you're unlucky and pick the uh, bad one, then uh, you just have to accept that you underperform the, the market average. Huh? Can I share something? Yep. Sure. sure. Yeah. So um, disclaimer first, uh, I, I have my... SPY and QQQ. So I'm maybe I'm a bit biased on the stock index. Um, although I I have some stocks also, but it's quite concentrated on the high techs also. So um, I, I think this question I can break down into maybe three three type of uh, things. So first thing is, um, it says that is Buffett says that it's very hard to beat S and P five hundred. Uh, and using 500 versus QQQ and versus uh, top four tech holdings for the last 10 years. I think the first time, uh, I mean, S&P 500 has been in what, almost 60 years already, or, or I don't know how many years. So I think Warren Buffett know S&P 500 more than QQQ. If I think he ever knows QQQ, maybe he will tell you to invest in QQQ right now. But he, S&P 500 has a longer historical return, so he used that as a benchmark. That's why he say, yeah, um, holding that might makes a, a better return. And um, he also know that 
many people out there are not good in stock picking, not like him. So he makes it as a business. That's why he become a billionaire. Um, not everybody else. Yeah. So that I think this is the first thing that we need to know about how good we are uh, versus other people and versus him, right? And I guess that the second question about beating using the QQQ and top four tech. Um, yes, it, it's true that QQQ has been growing very fast. And uh, I, I guess QQQ will will beat S&P faster uh, from now on. That's my perspective. Uh, because I, I think um, although uh, BT says that uh, it might grow a bit slower because of the already achieved their value um, for the last 10 years until now. But my, my view is a bit different because I think that um, from now on, they'll grow even faster. Um, in case that there are some companies that do not do well, QQQ always can replace a better one out there. So it can only get better and not worse. So that's my perspective in, in terms of the, the index itself. And in terms of holding for top four techs, I mean, how many of us can, you know, replicate uh, and pick the best one? Even um, Katie Woods, you know, the most celebrated one, um, have a good run for, for one, two years, but uh, not now. So, I mean, how, how many people, like, uh, we can get a team to do the analysis as well as her? And even she cannot do the, the best every year return, right? So, I guess it is very hard for a normal person like us to, yeah, to bid, uh, to, to, to pick the right stock and to bid every index. I, I, I'm not a good stock picker, so I don't want to comment that you cannot bid the index. Some people, they can do it. So lucky for you, you have a very good uh, sense about the business and, and the whatever uh, company's balance sheet that you, you, you look at. I'm not, so I would rather put my bet half half maybe SPY and, and QQQ. So I, I think that's that's my sharing, yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks just for the comment. <clears throat> yeah, I think I, I didn't say the the big four will uh lose to QQQ, yeah. <laughs> I just say that uh this uh big tech, right, the four big tech, they might not do as well as as the past ten years because past ten years they started from very small base and, and grown very big, right? Agree. <clears throat> yeah, agree. So it's not easy to pick the next top four, right? Yeah, it's, it's just not that easy. So if we are not that good, I guess maybe just holding the stock index like, you know, QQQ or QQQM might just, yeah, just uh, slip through it and you don't have to figure out what stocks to, to rebalance or to choose, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I think uh, QQQ, let's say if you are into tech, right? I think QQQ is definitely a good uh, good index to, or ETF to invest. I think also because uh, they have higher allocation into like all the big tech compared to S&P 500, because one is 500 companies, another is 100 companies, right? So you definitely have more concentration into the, the big tech. Second thing is that you get rid of those uh, sectors that 
even I myself also not, don't, don't like as much, for example, like banking sectors and also the energy sectors. I, I think these are mostly not in QQQ, but they are in S&P 500. And that also explains why I think uh, if you look at year-to-date performance, right, S&P 500 outperformed QQQ. It's because these two sectors that I don't like actually uh, outperform banking and energy. But come back to uh, like... You still have to ask your, your own preference, like uh, whether you really like tech exposure or not. If yes, I think QQQ is the way to go. And if you really understand all the business of this big tech and you you understand what I just mentioned in the beginning of the of the session when I talk about Amazon, Apple, right? Uh, if you if you trust that judgment, uh, I think you can just skip QQQ and straight away go to the big tech. And I think uh, at least that's my view. Uh, that that's how I position my portfolio. Okay, uh, let's move on. Yeah, so, okay. This one interesting. I think this is the first time people ask me this question. I, I actually thought that this question would come come uh, sooner than I thought. Uh, Bunti, just wondering what's your net worth currently? Uh, I can only share that, you know, for portfolio, uh, my, my uh, IBKR portfolio, I share it publicly, right? You can track it like on almost like real-time basis, right? But in terms of net worth, I'm not sharing uh, the full net worth because I still want to keep a bit privacy for myself. I can only share that um, in Singapore dollar, it is still six digits. Uh, I'm not yet a millionaire, um, but high, high six digits. Uh, so that's the only thing that I can share. And maybe one more details is that aside from the IBKR portfolio, which I think is already like, I think it's the, I mean, my stock portfolio is already the, my largest Asset class in my in my uh, net worth, uh, the second largest one is uh, CPF. Uh, you know, Singapore they have this uh, CPF that uh, allow us to invest at four percent if you put into the special account uh, and Medisave account, right? I think that four percent is still very attractive given that uh, it just compound over time, right? Uh, in the beginning, let's say when the portfolio is very small, I I don't see the interest as attractive, but now um, it has already grown to like already six digits, and every year. On the 1st of January, I saw the CPF, um, you know, I have the app, right? So I open up the app, see how much they credited into my account. I'm, I'm quite happy with it. that. Lah. So 4% um, treated as like a, is, as my bond portfolio, you know. So uh, market good or bad, I get that 4% on my CPF. Uh, and then the rest, uh, my liquid cash, uh, I think most, like I, I can say, I'm on margin, you guys know, right? A sm small percentage of margin. So I would say that on my liquid assets, they are all in my, um, in my uh, IPKL portfolio. And I still have small percentage uh, into the, my SRS uh, account, which is in Singapore stock market. I have this uh, Maple Tree Industrial Trust and some um, some money, like I think three or four thousand into endowers. Um, so anyone still haven't have endowers and interested, uh, I have the referral link. <laughs> okay, I think that's all for this one. Uh, let's move on. Uh, people always say that 100,000 by 30, then hit their, what's the next financial target? Hmm. I think this one, I don't know whether this is Singapore, Singapore uh, culture. People like to benchmark, right? Like, okay, I'm 30 years old. I should have 100K, 200K, 500K. Uh, 
I don't know, it's quite interesting. I saw this uh, benchmarking probably because of all this Asian culture also, right? Uh, you know, during school time, we bench benchmark our uh, exam and then now working, we benchmark our salary, benchmark our net worth and so on. I found it quite interesting. Uh. <laughs> but uh, I think, let's say my comment is that maybe don't benchmark too much against your peers. Uh, especially when it comes to your income, uh, because usually if you don't know about the income uh, or salary of your friends, right, or, or, or your colleagues, right, uh, I think you will be happier. Once you know it, usually it's quite miserable, especially you know that you are doing more work and then uh, the other people actually earn more than you, right? So I think benchmark, I think very hard to avoid, but uh, don't do that too much to the extent that it will make you unhappy. La. So that's my, my point. I think you should benchmark against yourself. Um, that's why I said checking your portfolio, checking it over time. Um, whether it's like 100K or 50K or 200K doesn't really matter, right? As long as if you look at your current uh, net worth versus, let's say, uh, one year back, two year back, three years back, right? As long as it is growing, I think um, you are heading to the right directions, right? Um, so I think that's what is important, right? Basically, your portfolio is there to sustain or to support your retirement when you, uh, when you retire or when you feel like you don't want to work, right? So you just need to be comfortable with, with your own uh, trajectory. I think that's my comment. Anyone want to comment on this? I found this interesting topic, right? You can, can share your, your view. Is 100K uh, enough or not? Yeah, so actually this number over here, right? I feel uh, it's a magical number because this is your first six-digit net worth. And when it comes to your first six digit, usually it takes quite some time to hit it up. So if you really want to know what's the next financial target, right? I would say it's the next hundred thousand, which is two hundred thousand, because you can compare the time taken to reach zero to hundred k and the time taken to reach from hundred k to two hundred k. Yeah. So uh, once once you compare these two, right, you will somehow appreciate the power of compounding even more. Then. Uh, once you hit a 200k, it gets easier and easier. La. Eventually, you reach 500k, 1 million, 2 million, etc. Yeah, so if you ask me, I'll just say 200k. Yeah, thanks for the sharing. Yeah, definitely true, right? Um, usually, um, it, it will take lesser and lesser time to get your next 100k and next 100k. I think that's the, the if you achieve that, uh, that means you are on the right track. And I would say don't, don't just look at the number as of now. Uh, like I think, I think SC also compared, uh, uh, commented in the group chat before, right? Um, you have to like really put into the spreadsheet, uh, like let, let's say just record down your, your uh, personal balance sheet as of now, right? Just record down your assets, your stock holdings, your liabilities. You just record down as a column, right? And then just put, put in the date. And then just remember to record it the next time when you review it. You don't have to do this like every week, right? You just have to do it, let's say every quarter, um, you know, like April, uh, July, then September, or, or even every six months, right? You just record that and then you just look at the progress, right? Um, it's quite, how to say, fulfilling looking at the trend. Uh. I've been doing this for years, you know, I think probably close to 10 years already. And looking at the trend, I think, um, 
I, I won't say that, you know, I, my net worth is, is not very high compared to many people uh, in the group, right? I would say maybe I'm just uh, average, right? But looking at the trend over time, at least I think this is something that uh, gives me some assurance that I'm on the right track now. So that's why I say, uh, look, uh, record down. Don't, don't just look at current and then forget about it because you, you, you don't know how much you have grown if you don't track the history, right? So you need to record down uh, somewhere. Th thanks, team, for the, for the comment. Okay, uh, next one, uh, semicon. So later, team, maybe you can uh, help to comment also. Uh, I'll go first, yeah? uh, later you can comment. Uh, at TSMC, I have looked at the uh, results. I think... Um, in terms of their financial result, it looks very good. Nah. So really, really good. And, you know, in terms of their forward-looking uh, guidance, right, also uh, looks good. It seems that their business, right, they are already they, they are on the bottleneck in terms of how much they can uh, support their customer rather than not enough demands, right? So on the demand side, no problem. Um, and they are reinvesting heavily into uh, expansions, right, to make sure that they can really support their customer uh, over the next, let's say, three to five years, right? So I think they are on the right track. Um, financial good, business business good, in terms of their technology, all on track, right? So so nothing really negative uh, for, for TSMC. Just one thing, <laughs> you, which you also need to be careful, is that uh, I, I do see that there's some, uh, you know, geopolitical uh uh, concern with regards to China Taiwan relationship and you know with Ukraine stuff right and I, I saw this concern not uh, I mean this concern is really is, is there and I believe that there are some uh, asset managers that are pulling uh, funds from uh, TSMC or pulling out from Taiwan right just because of all this concern so I think that's something that could affect the um, performance of the stock, let's say, if these things deteriorating, right? You know, when it comes to geopolitical concern, right, people don't care about the fundamentals that, and they just want to get out, right? It's, it's similar to what happened to China, uh, let's say, uh, last year. You know, they are, they, when, when companies, uh, no, when, when there's all these uh, tensions related to countries right people just want to get out right so share price will be under pressure if if the situation um deteriorating uh. so that's the the one thing that i'm watching in terms of slowdown in the business I, I don't expect uh over the next one year i i think they they are in terms of their um order books right still quite healthy that's on tsmc and then on the three other companies right nvidia amd and intel right I think NVIDIA, no problem, um, because yesterday I just looked at the, the pricing of their GPU and so on, right? I think uh, they are, their products is still in short supply, and then um, in terms of pricing, they can still price their product at a good margin. Um, I think NVIDIA, be it like the GPU or gaming uh, sector or on the data centers, right? I think they have really good products and really not much alternative on, on those products. And hence, their products are always priced at a premium and they, they, could, uh, they get a good uh, returns or profits out of that. Uh. So I think for NVIDIA also doing quite well. But in terms of the valuation-wise, I think NVIDIA also on the high side. Uh, so that's something to watch out for. Uh. 
And then the other tools, right, which is uh, AMD and Intel's, right? I think these two companies is a bit like, uh, at least on the desktop CPU market, right? I think they are now at uh, some price war. <laughs> they are dropping their price, uh, which is good for the consumers, but maybe not so good in terms of their financial uh, over the next, let's say, three to six months. Uh. So I am actually a bit worried for those who invested into Intel and AMD. And come back to Intel, I think this is uh, very interesting because uh, I always thought that they are behind AMD uh, in the past, let's say, two or three years, right? And I, I didn't follow that closely in terms of their product launches. Just yesterday, I took a look and, and, and see how much they have been doing, right? And it just surprised me a bit because in terms of the pricing, they are really aggressive. And then they are... Um, coming with the products that is not so behind AMD. But we, you need to understand that whatever that uh, Intel just came up, right? They, they just launched the Elder Lake early this year. But for AMD products, I think this is considered the old um, architecture already. Um, they are on par at the moment in terms of pricing, also quite uh, on par. So I think they are, they are trying, Intel is trying to grab some market share from AMD. La. So if you are invested in AMD, I think this is something to, to watch out for. Uh, but what is more interesting is what, what will come out uh, second half of the year. AMD probably will launch the Zen 4, and then I think Intel will launch the next one. I forget the name, the Rocket Lake or something. Uh, that I, I don't know when it is going to launch, but uh, and we don't know like their performance, relative performance, right? So I think these two still go head to head, uh, and there's some price war, and it's interesting to to find out who will win, right? Um, yeah, that's uh, just a quick comment. Anyone want to comment on this? Tim, you want to share any insights? But uh, yeah, wouldn't they also come under pressure from Apple in particular? Because, uh, okay, maybe maybe I'm biased, right? But in terms of their CPU and GPU performance, their Apple Silicon uh, is a very big contender against AMD. Uh, it's a very big headwind against AMD and Intel. So uh, I, I just wonder uh, how come this wasn't considered, like, yeah. Uh, sorry, Martin, just now your voice a bit soft, but I roughly get that you, you, you want to ask like, uh, how does Apple compare to uh, these two, right? I think, I think my comment is that for Apple's, right, because they are running on different operating system. So sometimes it's very hard to compare uh, when they are running like on the Mac OS, right, and versus Windows. I think for customers, right, for those who want to get into Windows, right, they will just shop around window, uh, within the Windows uh, options. So it's, it's easier for us to compare AMD versus Intel. Um, harder for, to, to put in Apple here. But if you look at Apple, I will say that their pricing, right, actually, at least I can say that right now their offerings is much better compared to uh, the time when Apple is still using Intel processor because the ARM processors, right, is really, really uh, attractive when it comes to uh, pricing, when it comes to uh, the, the, the product, that, the latest product uh, that they have. Now. So, uh, I do see that Apple will grab more market shares as compared to Windows. But if you just want to say, okay, given different price points, should I get uh, Apple or should I get uh, Windows, right? A, a little bit harder to, to make that comparison, at least for me. Lah. Yeah. Yes, yes, agree. Uh, what, I, what I was uh, referring to is because, and uh, uh, it's exactly to a point about market share, right? Like 
uh, Windows versus Mac, then has they grab more market share in terms of the Mac? Uh, and then wouldn't that mean equals to Windows getting less market share? And then that would mean less relevance for the uh, legacy uh, processors, like it, even though they are of, the, of a different architecture altogether, right? Of course, they serve different segments, right? But has more people transit to the Mac? And if they can do more capable things as compared to Windows, uh, you know, it somewhat spells a lot more concern than just on the uh, chip-making companies like Intel and AMD uh, as a whole, you know, even potentially even Microsoft, right? Because they, they own Windows, as I mean, they, they own the Windows OS also. So although they are slowly trying to, I mean, maybe it's just me like, when i obs observing the trends, uh, it seems that Windows is trying to emulate what uh, the Mac OS can do in terms of the UI, in terms of the user experience. And uh, maybe I'm just speaking from a consumer point of view, uh, but uh, yeah, I can sense that they are, they are encountering more headwinds uh, due to this kind of, uh, of, of, of changes. Uh. Yep, I totally agree with you uh, in terms of, let's say, if you say Apple's because of their product is much better, if they get more market shares, they will for sure uh, put some pressure on Microsoft and also some uh, all these like, you know, Intel and AMD's, right? That, that's true. It's just that I recall the last time when I look at the market shares of uh, Mac versus uh, Windows, right? We can see that Apple market share has increased, but it's not like huge increase, right? If we are talking about, let's say, a couple of percentage increase, maybe even not even like, let's say, 5% increase in, in terms of market share. They're still very small. I think it's like 10, I, I, I don't recall the exact numbers. So let's say it's around like 15% kind of market shares, right? Maybe they increase to 18%. Maybe later I will take a look at the latest statistics, see what I can find there. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that we still haven't seen like huge increase in the market shares of Apple. So this is the, the first statement that I want to make. Second one is that why their market share hasn't increased that much, right? It's also because of there are still quite a number of software, right? Uh, which is built on top of Windows that is not easily or, or at least all these um, software provider, they haven't really like built uh, equivalent software that work on uh, uh, Mac. Um, architecture. So especially those uh, software that used by commercials. Uh, you know, for example, like um, let's say if you have all this software that you use uh, in your work, some proprietary software, right? All these, uh, they, they really serve like um, business customers, right? So all these are B2B business, right? They are not selling this software to the uh, retail customers, right? All these, I think, uh, still no point for this uh, software provider to build uh, on top of uh, Mac OS because this is not their business, right? They are actually selling to um, co companies and most companies are still using Windows, right? I don't know uh, which industry are you from, at least for, for myself, um, I'm working in financial industry, at least in the office, I'm still window, uh, using Windows products, right? So I have, I have not seen, um, let's say the trend uh, that moved towards uh, Apple products for the entire companies, right? This one I haven't seen. But with that say, I think for, uh, you know, just like I mentioned also on all these cloud uh, services, uh, cloud is the trend moving toward that, that I think many companies are moving towards, right? If this trend continue, right? Actually, it will make, uh, it will make it less and less important to focus on the OS because regardless of whether you are using Mac or you're using Windows, if your business is built on top of cloud, right? 
you still need to log into the all this uh you know uh web browser and 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 all this uh cloud uh, environment to operate the the business right uh if that is the case right i think companies will find it easier to actually uh shift over to to mac uh so so i think that will actually help mac in terms of uh in, increase their market shares uh. but at least for now i think this is still not obvious and also from the windows side i, I don't think they are you know that they, they are not, not sitting there and doing nothing right because on the cloud side they're they still uh, have their business and they are growing fast um, they have their strategy in terms of how to uh, fending off all this competition from Apple. But it comes to let's say if let's say if you are a retail customer, you just want to surf net, you just want to let's say um, uh, do some let's say Photoshop. Uh, you, you, I think for for customer like this, right? Uh, I think buying a MacBook compared to Windows, I think it's really. I think that there's a strong incentive to buy into MacBook if. For these people, they like uh, Apple's products, right? So I think on, on this end, they are still uh, quite a good alternative, uh, but not in the, how to say, uh, on the enterprise uh, side. No? Yeah, I guess it's fair uh, because uh, I, I come from a pharma industry, so we are in the manufacturing facility. Uh, so Windows is actually the prime choice uh, for, for us. So even I, I also use a proprietary software uh, that is only compatible with Windows. So that's a good thing to know. So because it, at least it's not losing relevance in terms of the uh, uh, business, in terms of uh, business applications, uh, not just on the uh, uh, retail side, you see. Yeah, because to be honest, I think for like day-to-day -day use, the Mac uh, or rather uh, the the mobile operating system for Apple is 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 kind of like gaining more traction and momentum as compared to uh, Microsoft Windows, for example. Right? Maybe we have digressed, lah. But uh, uh, is somehow shows, or at least among among my circle, right? I've seen more transit to to, to Mac rather than transit to Windows. That's why I was more concerned about it, even as an investor, right? Whether uh, it is, it's a legacy uh, OS or like Windows or legacy chip makers like Intel or AMD, are they losing relevance and should investors be concerned as a bigger picture? You know? So that and hence I, I asked that question. Yeah. And thanks for yeah. sharing also. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think I 100% agree with, with what you just said. Uh. Um, and this, this question is about like, uh, because for, let's say for, I, I don't know, like how many software, proprietary software that you are using, right? Um, like, if you ask all these software provider, are they going to develop something on Mac, right? Actually, it's not that hard, you know, it, they, they can do that. But the harder parts, uh, talking about not developing, right? Talking about the, uh, in terms of their business, right? The harder part is actually like, if they develop a, a version for uh, Mac, right? And then what's next, right? Meaning that they now have two uh, code base and then they need to maintain two because there will be some customers to, that say, okay, uh, since we have some uh, offerings on the Mac OS, right? That, let's move to Mac. And then some will say, actually, I don't want to move. I still want to stick with Windows. So they have to maintain two uh, set. Uh, and then that, that means they have to really double, double, double up their maintenance costs, you know, and that doesn't help them to increase their their market shares. So it's very hard to them to to uh, no incentive. It's not hard. It's really, really no no reason for them to build uh, the version for uh for for uh Mac OS. So they they kind of stuck there, 
And this one become like a, you know, this has become a, a Microsoft mode, right? Because of the switching cost, very hard for them to switch out uh, to other architecture because everyone just want to stick with Windows because it is working now. And even for, uh, let's say like a Photoshop or, or Adobe Premiere Pro, right? Where they already developed uh, the software for Mac OS, right? Even for these uh, companies, I think they, they still have to maintain two set and then I, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough, I would say, uh, for especially for proprietary uh, software providers. Uh, they they want they don't want to uh, have two sets, uh. So that's why um, I think Windows they will they will stay around. <laughs> yeah. So as long they 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 know, uh, or rather the on the software software providers front, they they know who, who are their target customers and what OS they typically use. And if their strategy is clear, then that's okay. So similarly for uh, the chip makers, right? If they know who to target exactly, then at least their relevance is still there. Because, it, because it's, I don't know, at least I'm personally quite impressed with Apple Silicon. Like they can do what AMD and Intel couldn't, you know? So or at least, but because simply because the, their limitation is, it is optimized for Mac, but it is not. Uh, it is not scalable to Windows, for example, and obviously they will not allow that to happen, right? Because they are they are a direct competitor, and they they want people to buy their things. So, so they and at least that that's why as an investor also, uh, you know, it will pose a question to me. Okay, should I still believe in AMD? Should I still believe in Intel? All these are questions that, uh, by keeping up with all these trends, uh, that will help us make a better decision moving forward also. Yep, totally agree. And that's the reason I don't have exposure into AMD and Intel at the moment. But I think for Intel, right, um, at least let's say if you're talking about the, um, what they are doing now, I think they still focus on the x86 uh, architecture, right? But coming to the Foundry 2.0, I think when they move to Intel, um, Intel 3, uh, I think their foundries, right, they are all well equipped to really support on other architecture as well, for, uh, including ARM and also the uh, RISC-5 archi architectures. Uh, all, all this will be, uh, I mean, they are not sitting just bet uh, 100% on x86. Uh, they, they are moving towards that uh, space as well. Uh. So, um, yeah, that, that's the uh, coming one. We still have to track. x86 sounds so dated, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I think good discussion on that. Uh, I think ne next time, if we have more information, we, we, we can do some presentation and share more into those topics that we just discussed. I think yeah, it's fun to, to follow up, follow on those trends. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, we'll just go through this. Uh, hi, Bunti. I have learned from you to ignore noises from macro, short-term price movement, and just continue to buy in regularly and build or increase portfolio size. Any guide or cash deployment strategies to share for regular salary individuals? How many buys per month or percentage of income to deploy? Thanks in advance. Okay. Um, welcome. I think uh, it's good that you, I don't know what, if you are early or already like working for a, a few years, right? Um, as long as you are starting to build your portfolio and you look at your portfolio growing, I think uh that is definitely good and i'm very pleased to see people's uh like and you know like uh, because this is basically what i have been advocating right building a portfolio and if really help to 
um, you know, promote this kind of uh, investing for the long term, right? I think I, I'm really uh, grateful. Come back to your questions. Uh, how many buys per month or percentage? I think this is really um, up to individuals now. Because if you are happy with the uh, volatility, tolerate the volatility, right? Um, you can do something like myself, right? I almost put like 100% of my saving into the portfolio every month. Um, and let's say if the stock market drop, um, then so be it, right? I, I will just keep on buying. If I don't have the money now, let's, let's wait for next month, right? So that, that is something that I have been doing, but I don't think this is uh, right for everyone because there are people that, you know, when they look at the market drop and then they are not buying, right? Uh, because they have already all ins, right? They feel miserable. So for this type of people, maybe you, you can't invest like 100% of your saving every month. You might want to say, okay, let's put 30% uh, into stocks, right? Uh, and let's keep 70% or 50% into some bonds, some, you know, some, some investment that help you to preserve the capital at least. Uh, and then, so that will help you to smooth out. Uh, and at least on the emotional side, you are not as panic, let's say, if the market dropped by, let's say, 30 or 40%, right? Because you, you can see that not all your money is a string, right? Because if you really all in into stock portfolio and have, let's say, like six digits, right, and market drop by 30%, when you lose like 100K, 200K kind of amount, right, it's re really quite scary if you are not prepared to see that. Uh. So that's the reason to have some, some money into uh, all this, like, you know, high-saving account. Yeah. And also, you can always increase your your um you know your DCA whenever market is uh like dropping quite very significantly, right? So that gives you a bit of flexibility if you have some saving into um uh safe assets like bank deposit and so on. So I think it really depends. Um, I would say any, any anywhere between, let's say, putting 20% to 80% into stock portfolio, right? Especially if you are young, right? You, you can put more. Um, that's just a very general kind of um, suggestion. Uh. Um, all this are uh, not financial advice, right? Because really, it's very individual because, you know, question like this is very general. We don't know your uh, commitments, right? Um very hard to say okay you should do this and that right i think uh just just do something that is you know as long as you're consistently invest i think you, you will be fine now. um then the next one is that if you have more specific question you need to give more specific uh, situations right then then we can comment more okay i'll stop here anyone want to comment on this this uh this uh question here All right. Uh, okay. I hope that Martin is still here. <laughs> Let me read out these questions first. What's your take on pharma stocks like Merck, Novartis, Pfizer, etc. in the current climate and at least in the next three to five years? Uh, for me, I have no view at all. I have zero insight into these sectors. Uh, so I'll pass it to Martin. You, you have any insight on this? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because personally, I, I, uh, I, I work for Novartis. So, so, uh, you know, like, of course, we will always keep track of uh, uh, of, of trends uh, in terms of drug development uh, and not just vaccines, right? Because vaccines is just one small component in the healthcare and pharma industry. Uh, there are generics. There are also uh, cell and gene therapies, uh, novel biosimilars. 
okay, it can get a bit technical. Lah. So the personally, I feel that like large molecules, companies that focus on large molecules like cell and gene, um, you know, like uh, monoclonal antibody treatments, vaccines, they, they are more, more like I view them as the future lah, rather than you no know, traditional generic drugs, right? Uh, but I just don't know. Like maybe I can, maybe I will know a bit about the R and D on on in on the Novartis front, like how their business is transforming. All those are public information. Uh, but for the you know, maybe there are some industry peers around. I I don't know. So you can uh, because I was the one who posed this question uh, as uh, that because I always see their stocks they trade relatively flat. Yeah, for some reason I so that that's why. I want to see whether, uh, apart from myself, right, anybody who, who has uh, some uh, insight on, on, on this end. Yeah, I, I, I can only share that I have not, I, I don't remember anyone come from pharma, uh, surgical uh, industry. Like, I think you are the first one, at least in, in the group. Uh. But I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Uh. Just now you mentioned about like uh, these big uh, molecules uh, and you, you see that this is the future, right? Um, my question to you is that out of these, uh, you know, like the big uh, farmers, right? Which one are those really focuses uh, m- uh, more on this uh, big molecule stuff? Like, is there a, a like a, a trend to say which is which one are more forward looking, sir? Yeah, uh, like for example, I came from Merck MSD, right? Yeah. So they they recently their breakthrough drug is Keytruda. So uh, at first it was just in uh tested for indications for melanoma, which is uh, skin cancer, right? So they start their 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 uh if you notice they they if you track for the last three years or so, uh, this this drug was performing very well because it was uh approved for indi- other forms of cancer treatment also, and it's derived from a large molecule. Uh, like typically how monoclonal antibodies are made uh, from uh, cell culturing and all that, right? They uh, That was their breakthrough, right? Then they started to move away from, uh, what do you call it? They, they started to move away from traditional small molecules. You know, like your tablets, like Panadol or uh, uh, Clarity, and all these are small molecules. They are synthesized by chemical reactions. So, so uh, all these active pharmaceutical ingredients, or we call API in short, right? They... I, I would see that they are all more on the sunset, like, at least in my personal opinion. Like, and then more those uh, injectable drugs, the rounds are, are more on the uptrend really, and they are more effective and targeted, right? Uh, what else? Uh, what other companies that focus on large molecule manufacturing are uh, Mgen, uh, Novartis. Uh, their portfolio of drugs, they are mostly pres- uh, very specific pre- prescription-based. And normally what we will look for at least... Uh, not just from technical point of view, right? From also investor point of view, you'll see their pipe, R&D pipeline, their, uh, for, uh, their forward-looking statements will say, okay, what, what, what product is growing? What, what, what product is approved in what market? Yeah, uh, these are the, the telltale signs when we look at their annual reports. These are what we would look, at least what I would look for. Uh, about say MGen, Novartis, uh, Merck, uh, what else? Uh, Roche, uh, Roche used to be Genentech, yeah, but now they, they, they are just Roche, right? So uh, these are the, some of the examples. Uh, AbbVie also, uh, they, they also have uh, bi- uh, biologics uh, presence in Singapore as well. Uh, although I don't know whether their product is really off patent or not. Yeah, and also one thing about patents, right? Like if their product is off patent, then 
that could also spell some growth uh, decline as well. And then when they start to spin off certain divisions, because uh, I, if I'm not wrong, Merck also spun off two, uh, like consumer healthcare, women's health, uh, topical cream business. All these they spun off like, because they are all generics really. So they, 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 they spin off to other entities like Newco, uh, what else? Newco, Organon, all that. Yeah. Then they, they are more still on the, all these companies are more on the small molecules or the, or the traditional legacy drugs. So cell and gene therapy, I know Singapore is one company called Tessa Therapeutics. It's of course not listed, but it's, uh, they are focusing on cell and gene therapy for cancer treatment also. So more and more companies are venturing to cell and gene therapy. So to me, if I were to look out for pharma news, then this is uh, like whether their developments in cell and gene therapy treatments are, are, uh, will be something I would look for. But again, because my question is, has a, if we look at it at an investor point of view, right? how come some of the stocks are trading so flat? When, you know, like they, every time they say exciting news, there's growth and all that, but they trade relatively flat compared to other sectors. Uh. So, and hence, uh, that's, that's why, because if I'm the only one, then I also won't, I, I hope to get a bit more insight on what could be the possible reason. Because it is like counterintuitive law. So, so that's, that's that. Hopefully I answer my question. Yeah. I think you are on mute, right? Uh, Martin, can you can you share how long have you been in the industry? Uh, about eight years, uh. So I work in the technical technical side, uh. That means I'm an engineer from. I work at Merck for about five and a half years. Then I went to Novartis, uh, for about three. Now about coming three and a half years, really. So yeah. mostly on the technical technical manufacturing, like hundred percent just manufacturing presence. Uh, so of course, like. The, the leaders, uh, the side leadership will always share like if there's any corporate news. Then there's recently some restructuring with Novartis also. We, again, it's public news, uh, not, not proprietary, not something I can share. Uh, then somehow it's just that I feel, don't know why like we keep saying, oh, there's growth, there's growth uh, when we when, when all those public news are there, right? but they trade relatively flat compared to other sectors, uh, as I said. So. Just wondering what, what what could be the reason why like because for example Pfizer Moderna these two are biotech companies right or rather actually in fact Pfizer is just recently they ventured into uh, biologics manufacturing like this time they, they co-developed a vaccine with BioNTech which is a biotech startup also uh, then they then their shot their prices shot up like, of course because of the of the, the the demand for their for the vaccines and all that right but but it's, we are, at least I personally, I'm looking beyond that. Like, like what happens after COVID is over, you know, then what's the next thing they have to deal with? Are there any more uh, diseases that they will be focusing on? Like, for example, some companies may focus on oncology, some companies may focus on into, autoimmune diseases and all that. Uh, you know, at least on Novartis one is more on those uh, very specific ailments, uh, like uh, uh, skin allergies or specific cancer, that kind, yeah, on the oncology front. And then I think they are winding down their uh, uh, small molecule business also, if I'm not wrong. So, like yeah. from Sandos, uh, yeah. So something like that, uh, I mean, just, just wondering like if anybody else has a possible reason uh, why they trade relatively flat. 
is this going to be like that for the next three and five years or if you were to invest in pharma stock? Because I, I hardly see any of those ETFs that have a lot of holdings in pharma stocks as well. Yeah, I I don't have an answer for for that because I have not following um like all these pharma stocks, right? But I just want to like understand like a bit on these uh, developments, right? Uh, let's say if you have been in the industry for eight years, if you just compare to let's say three, four years back, right, or five years back, right, have there any like development that is interesting? Uh, let's say in terms of how how they uh conduct R and D and so on. Is there is there anything that is let's say um Make, can make people more excited about about all these pharma stocks uh, or 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 there isn't any <laughs> yeah i think main thing the main main bus is cell and gene therapy la, because those are like picking pa- patient cells uh, and then they, they they grow it in the in the laboratory environment uh, and to and then to make some uh, specific modifications right so that then they inject back to the patient for to target specific uh, uh kind of ailments that they that they they would uh, they will want to treat you know so like monoclonal antibodies are works just like how the vaccines work also so it's, it's just like introducing antibodies to fight certain uh uh fight certain diseases uh. so it depends on whether i feel the what the company chooses to focus on uh. like if if the oncology part is very crowded already then likely the company will not focus on that those that much or if the immunology department uh on immune, immunology part uh, is is less focused right then they will try to have r&d mostly on that so again singapore doesn't have a lot of r&d presence uh, singapore is better position has manufacturing scale up manufacturing so when you say oh sanofi is coming to singapore to, to build what it's nothing r&d is scale up so we will take transfer from uh, fate, uh, uh like those that are ready for scale up really and then build the plant here and scale up the manufacturing uh, process uh like to make in volumes uh, basically right and uh that's one the yeah i i, I think in singapore there's expansion for manufacturing presence if for pfizer for sanofi for i don't know if gsk is expanding but i don't think so yeah then at least for Novartis front, uh, we are also still focused on large molecules. Also. Uh, and there's some possible, uh, and then we also have to compete with contract manufacturers like Lonza also, right? They, because contract manufacturers can make many, many drugs. Uh, their plants are fitted to make many, many drugs for many, many other clients. Like they can be even making drugs for their competitors also. Because uh, that, that's their core business. Uh, like they take many, many molecules, then they will retrofit their plant to, to scale up accordingly. So they can make it cheaper, make it faster. Yeah. So I think in Singapore, Lonza's presence is quite big also. They are also scaling up in China. They are also scaling up in Singapore. I think part of it, yeah, it's a brownfield. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that. Uh. So mostly my our involvement is like uh, buy equipment, uh, qualify them, and then scale up. Yeah, so R and D part we are not so abreast lah, of the of the developments, uh, but only like know a bit. Okay, whether it is in phase two, whether it is in phase three, will it be coming to Singapore or not? Uh, those are the uh, manufacturing science team that will be liaising with the R and D people uh, uh, for for that lah. Yeah. Sorry, hopefully it's not too much. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's very interesting, right? Because uh, no, at least for me, I, I believe for most of us here, especially for those who are not in the industry, right? I think um, 
yeah, I think you, you cannot go much deeper already. <laughs> much deeper than we, you, you lost us because uh, it's getting quite technical, especially we talk about like different types of, of uh, business, different type of R&D, right? So this is very industry specific. I, I know I know nothing about all this. Now. But th- thanks a lot for, for the sharing. I just uh, want to ask, I just want to ask, is there anyone here from pharmaceuticals that you want to give your, uh, like, your, your insights on these questions here or if you are not from a pharmaceutical also can 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 give some comments yeah, i'll be happy to share uh provided it's not a uh, proprietary yeah 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 i think yeah actually i i know quite a number of people in in the group here right so i i don't know like anyone from pharm- pharmaceutical so okay uh, th- thanks a lot for the sharing let's move on Thank to you. the last questions Th- thanks uh, what's your view on commodity stocks can you discuss them uh, anyone want to share your view on this commodities I think referring to what energy what else are? like all the materials right as uh, in companies just... companies that process them or a manufacturer commodity or, or rather like uh, deal with commodities or just specifically uh, like commodity futures, that kind of thing. Is, is that what this question is referring to? Maybe just for my own understanding. Yeah. I don't know. I, I look at the name, like the terms, right? Commodity stocks, right? I think these are the companies that are involved in the commodities business. For example, uh, it could be like oil producer, could be, you know, uh, any, any, any part of the value chains that is related to commodities are not so much on the on the commodity futures like you want to buy oil futures to sell things now. It's referring to stocks, right? But is is F and B is F and B considered a commodity? Food and beverage, no. <laughs> oh, so so they like because they also take raw materials from com- uh to make their food and beverage. So so they are not considered commodities, lah. But I think F and B is actually considered a service, right? Uh, I don't know what how how to classify it. I can check. Uh, okay. I think they are like in the consumer sector, not not commodities. Oh, commodities okay. are those like you know like Exxon Mobil. Um, mm. I mean that that's just one example, right? There are still too many examples. So like uh, chocolate making factories like uh, like Nestle or Mondelez, Coca Cola, no. all these are considered no. service or consumer. Like. Consumer, yeah, consumer staples, yeah. yeah. Mm, understand. Thanks. You can see it from here, right? Let's say, I think, uh, I actually don't know, like, you know, they, they, I, I think all this within the energies, right? You know, like ExxonMobil, uh, Chevron, or, you know, all these uh, total energies, oil and gas exploration, these are all commodities. And then I don't know about like all the others, you know, for example, like all the nickels producer, where, where are these, right? Like the veil, are, are they here? Yeah, this veil. View is here, so they fall under other other industries, right? You know, all these real Tinto, BHP, Veil, all these are also commodities. Um, the rest are not now. The rest are mostly you know like consumer, uh, consumer defensive. All this, right? Yeah, beverage, beverage is here, so they they are not uh commodities, uh. Come back to this yeah i i i think i shared like quite a few times right um my focus is not really on commodity stocks uh. i think they are inherently cyclical right so in you know you know like energy 
the oil price goes up, their, their share price goes up. Oil price crash, they, their stock price also crash. And then if you if you really study all this like geopolitics and you study the macroeconomics, you want to do a positions, right? Right now, I think still considered on the uptrend. Uh, as long as inflation is still high, right? I think commodities will do well. The question is always like, how long will this cycle last, right? Because they could last like one year, three years, right? Or they could actually end now immediately, right? We really don't know how much, how, how soon this up cycle will end. And for commodities, you, you know that uh, as soon as this uh, up cycle turn into down cycles, right? Then they, they, was, they could suffer for another couple of years, right? So because of that uh, cyclicality, right? Uh, I, I think whoever bought into commodity stocks, they... They are ready to exit, you know. So it's really hard to so-called invest for the long term if you are uh, getting into all these commodity stocks. Uh. So it's it's really harder because uh, if it drops, it can drop a lot now. Uh. So you you need to be pre prepared for that now. Uh. Um, uh, that's why it's not in my you know like on my so-called long term portfolios, right? So, but I don't know like different people's. If you look at companies, yeah, I mean. Usually during down cycle, maybe you can still say, oh, I buy this for, for to hold it for the long term. But now, given that their share price already went up a lot, right? I'm not sure if this is a good idea uh, from a long term perspective. Uh, from a short term cyclical kind of bet, I think it really depends on how well you understand the, the current uh, macro environment. So that's just my comment. I, I don't know about others. You, you, anyone here want to um, talk about this or give your insight? Yeah, I don't have much insight. Um, so I'll just stop here. Yeah. Anyone want to? Okay, I'll just stop here. Okay, I think we have covered all questions here. Anyone want to cover any topics, anything that you want to chat about? I can, like, let's say, stay for another five to 10 minutes. I'm checking on the chat as well. See any topics? Yeah. Mm. A, sorry, I just saw a message from Bunsung that say very soft. Even for is 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 my voice very soft? No, now it's back to normal already. It's fine. Oh, I think maybe just now uh, I'm facing the other direction. I don't know what happened. Okay, uh, anyone else? If not, we could just close the call. All right, three, two, one, no more. Okay, thanks a lot uh, for those who have joined the session, uh, especially to Martin, uh, give a lot of insights on the pharmaceuticals uh, and also team. Uh, good to have you. <laughs> Maybe I should interview you for the second session. Uh, second session follow up. You know, it has it has been quite some time since our our interview last time. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot for joining. Uh, and see you guys back in the chat group. All right. I will upload the video later. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.